Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. This is SENZ. It is Mornings with Ian Smith. Ricardo Ball in for Smithy's away till next year. Uh, show brought to you by Brandt, your local John Deere equipment supplier. And coming up on the show, Craig Howard. He is the White, Fins, uh, White Ferns, I should say, spin coach. He's going to join us shortly. We'll talk about uh, his role and how he's settling into that team environment under Ben Sawyer. Jason Matthews, the Auckland Tuatara shortstop, is going to be in uh, shortly as well. Around 9.30, we're going to talk that Tuatara season and how things are going for them. Uh, currently at 9 and 6, how he is finding the ABL the panel. Uh, we've moved forward to 10 o'clock. Ross Carl and David Long join us on the panel. We're going to talk uh, rugby, uh, both internationally and locally. We're going to talk some tennis, some cricket, and the FIFA World Cup as well. We're going to talk basketball after 10.30. Hugh Bainan, the general manager of the NBL and uh, Tauihi Basketball, they've done the draw for that for next season. We'll have a look at that calendar. We'll talk a bit of NBA and the breakers with him as well. And then after 11 o'clock, the Wellington Phoenix have announced Ruben Parker, uh, who was their academy goalkeeper, is their new first-team goalkeeping coach. Uh, Sorry, he was the academy goalkeeping coach. He's now the first-team goalkeeping coach. Uh, Ruben is going to join us, and uh, we'll uh, have a chat to him about that role and a few other things. He's uh, had an interesting run and, and packed a lot into 27 years that is for sure. Plus, of course, a $100 TAB bonus bet to be one with Stumped. So we've got all of that coming your way. Uh, on the show today and we're looking forward to uh, some of those chats and also looking forward to hearing from you. Remember that the SENZ Caller of the Month will win a Charmate Colt 48 Smoker and Barbecue. Um, that is basically all you have to do is be part of the program by calling in on 0800 150 and uh, if your call is deemed the best call of the month, then that is all of yours. Uh, we also have our text line open, the Temper Bedpost text machine, double eight double three. Any thoughts that you want to get across, any tips you've got, any uh, any breaking news, double eight double three is our text line. You can get that through. That is the Temper Bedpost uh, text line. Uh, Temper and Bedpost range of mattresses and adjustable bases adapt to the exact shape of your body so you can put your head and feet up in comfort. Here's something uh, that I thought was quite interesting that came out today, um, and I, fair to say, I'm not David Warner's biggest fan, right? As a New Zealand cricket fan, don't like him. Uh, some of the things he's done in his career, don't rate. Very good batsman, no doubt about that. He's got talent with a bat, but uh, I kind of think that he's probably not the nicest bloke running around. Um, and as to, to mirror what Ken Rutherford said to us, a while ago, you know, the Australian public seemed to have fallen out of love with their cricket team because, the, you know, they just they can't identify with them. Maybe they're just not good blokes. Um, and it's interesting that David Warner, off, off the back of Sandpaper Gate, uh, was banned from ever captaining Australia again. Now, that was something that was always going to be up in the air when it came to leadership because Steve Smith obviously was sidelined as well and they were two of the most senior players. Uh, they've had cricket, uh, they've had issues with the captaincy in that cricket team obviously. Um, So there has been some conjecture that that might change. Uh, David Warner had applied to be considered uh, for the T20 uh, captaincy as well. And uh, he has now withdrawn that um, application because Cricket Australia were going to make it 
a public hearing on the events surrounding the Newland Scanlon 2018. Uh, what that means, well, open to interpretation, but it doesn't read well, I don't think, for David Warner. So that's something we'll talk a bit about uh, later on. And can you get your thoughts on that too on double eight double three? It is 19 past nine here on Mornings with Ian Smith. 0800 150 is our number. 0800 150 SENZ's caller of the month uh, will win a Charmate Colt. 48 Smoker and Barbecue, uh, thanks to Ava Living. Uh, but you're keen to talk about this David Warner story and how it makes, what you what your take on it. For me, it it looks like, hey, I'm guilty, and I don't want people to know how guilt, just how guilty I am. So the deal is that David Warner has put his hand up to be Australian cricket captain again for the White Bull stuff, right? And now Australian cricket have said, well, Let's have a public hearing around this. Uh, let's talk about the events surrounding the Newland scandal and, and make a decision, make an informed decision on whether or not this is the right thing to do to to, to make David Warner after a lifetime ban from being a captain of any Australian team uh, and overturning that and let him captain the side. David Warner has thrown his toys out of the cock completely uh, and has withdrawn his application to be the Australian white ball captain. What does this mean? For me, that looks like uh, there is stuff that would come out in a public hearing that he doesn't want in the public forum, uh, which would suggest that he's maybe guilty of um, more guilty of this than uh, Cricket Australia let us believe, or that David Warner wanted us to know. Uh, be keen to get your thoughts on that. I mean, as I said uh, earlier in the show, he's not my favourite cricketer of all time, and I, I think he's of dubious character, shall we say that? I think I can get away with saying that, but this uh, really doesn't look good. For David Warner, I don't think, but keen to get your thoughts on that. 0800 150 811, 0800 150 811, or you can text us through on double eight double three. We'd have a text earlier on the show on breakfast about the NZR um, having their press conference. We did have Logan down there. Uh, he has recorded that, so hopefully we'll be able to play some of that out for you a little bit later on. If not, it'll definitely be in Staff's show. Um, but Logan, you were there. The basic gist of it, uh, looking through the text machine from breakfast, was that not too many people were worried about who the new chair was. All the questions were going to be about Razor. Is that how it turned out? Uh, yeah, pretty much. I mean, Dame Patsy Reader came in, and I mean, what an incredible woman she is. She just kind of came in and just introduced herself to all the media that were there. So, I mean, whenever someone does that, I think that's quite a nice touch. But yes, aside from the the landmark decision there of, of her being appointed there. Uh, all the questions were largely around um, Scott Robinson and everything that's been going on there. Reading between the lines, it does seem like this, I mean, this question was put forward to him uh, quite a few times. Mark Stafford was down there as well. A uh, good friend of the show, Mark Hinton, was there asking all the hard questions and, of course, wanting to know the timeline around things, right? Yeah. So, Historically, NZR have made their decision post-World Cup about who would be the All Blacks coach beyond that and was challenged, look, the world isn't like that anymore. We've seen, you know, look at what we're seeing with England, look what we're seeing with Wales, um, <laughs> even USA, they're looking two World Cups ahead. Um, what are you going to do? And he, it sounds like he acknowledged, yes, uh, the world has changed and it seems like they are working on it. 
no definitive timeline. They couldn't give that to us. Um, that's fair. I mean, it's a work in progress. But it sounded like it was a very large portion of their board meeting yesterday was talking about the All Blacks coach uh, beyond the World Cup and what they're going to do there. So, yeah, again, no concrete details. Uh, Mark Robinson holding his cards very close to his chest. But potentially we will find out in the near future who will be the uh, All Blacks coach moving forward. Yeah, post-2024. Well, post-2023, I should say, mm. um, after the World Cup, because uh, obviously Ian Foster's got it till then. But, I mean, there's, you know, we've got a merry-go-round at the moment, right? Warren Gatlin's replaced Wayne Pivak at Wales. Eddie Jones has been sacked by England, but they haven't announced a replacement as yet. The, the rumours are Steve Borthwick, but that hasn't been confirmed as mm. yet. Uh, where do these people go? Where does Eddie Jones end up? That, that that's another conversation. Um, there's been some talk about Australia, some talk about Argentina. I mean, that uh, will be uh, will be an interesting one, won't it? Yeah, it will be. And another thing that was interesting yesterday when the appointment of Warren Gatlin came out and he fronted the uh, New Zealand media, and he's kind of took that parting shot uh, at NZR saying, look, you've got to get Scott Robinson. Don't let him go. He's got to be the next All Blacks coach. That was raised to Mark Robinson, what is your response to that? And and it, he kind of laughed it off uh, to a degree and said, oh, he's kind of the one in fi- one of five million who probably have an opinion on that matter. <laughs> uh, but let's be fair, I mean, I think Gats kind of represents a lot of us in, in that regard. Well, I think he does, but I also think he's more qualified to make that call than a lot of us because he's coached the British Lions on three tours. He's mm. coached Wales to Six Nations wins. He's coached Wales to two World Cup semifinals. Yeah, I, I covered that uh, Lions tour here when he was the coach for, um, you know, it was like 2017, 2018. Um, man, that was, yeah, no, interesting response here from Mark Robinson. Mm. Um, I mean, <laughs> sure. I mean, Gats, you know, I mean, I think he was well within his right to say what he said. Mm. Yeah, um, definitely. Uh, I mean, it, what he said is interests me in a few levels because it's not just an opinion. If you consider he knows the weight of those words, and he knows where how people will take that. And also, you've got to consider that he's a former teammate of the current incumbent all-black coach. So what do you do there? You know what I mean? I mean, if you're, the, uh, if, if you're a former teammate of Ian Foster's, you're, uh, you played with him at the Chiefs, played with him uh, at, right through the levels, um, you'll know him pretty well. So for, for Gats to say that, um, I think, holds more weight than... Any out any more of the five million? Put it that way, put it that way. Uh, but uh, keen to get your thoughts on that as well. Double eight double three is the temper bed post text machine, uh, or you can call us on oh eight hundred one five zero eight eleven. This is mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Thanks to Brant, your local John Deere equipment supplier, and uh, Ricardo Ball in for Smithy, who is away commentating in. Australia on the West Indies Australia series. Uh, the second test actually gets underway today. Uh, this one is going to be in Adelaide, and the Aussies are the big favourites at the TAB, paying just a dollar nine. The Windies thirteen dollars, the draw eleven dollars. But as Smithy said yesterday when we had him on, the Windies put up a hell of a fight in that test, a lot more of a fight than a lot of Australians were expecting. I mean, he was talking about people he knew that had flown to Perth for the test who had booked return flights for day three. That's how long they thought that test was going to go for. Uh, and as it turned out, it, it went a lot longer than that. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in Adelaide, particularly um, given the Aussies will probably be without Pat Cummins uh, from 
from all reports. Uh, he looked far too injured to bowl. Uh, he fielded, couldn't bend down, was fielding with his feet um, out on the boundary. So, yeah, I think uh, it, it could be a, for an interesting test and probably a lot closer than what that market suggests. Of course, uh, there's also cricket coming up because, as I mentioned, the White Ferns, uh, well, they have eclipsed the Bangladeshis in the three T20 matches. Uh, so they start a one-day series uh, this weekend and looking forward to that uh, and seeing how, how the New Zealand team changes um, and also how that balance works uh, with switching from T20 to ODI because that is uh, really going to be something that I think is uh, it needs, needs to be looked at, be an eye on because that ODI format for me uh, it's probably the preferred format, I think, uh, in, in cricket for me, uh, particularly in the white ball anyway, over T20. I think you find out so much more about the cricketers and find out so much more about the tactics and things. You get to see uh, more of what they're about. But, uh, yeah, can you get your thoughts on any of that? Uh, Fozzie, Robertson, what do you think New Zealand rugby should do? Do you think When do you think that call will be made? And, uh, yeah, we'll hopefully be able to hear some of that press conference at some point between now and midday. After. Otherwise, I know staff is going to uh, go pretty hard on it after midday as well on his midday madness. Uh, you'll hear plenty of it then. Uh, so feel free to uh, jump on and uh, give us a call or drop us a line, double eight double three. I did like this from Ed. Ed, thank you for your text. When I was asking for people to text through with questions for Craig... The White Ferns spin, spin coach had said, uh, Ricardo, does Craig have the answers to your White Ferns questions on Stumped and can he ring up and be me? Uh, anonymous. Uh, Ed, I don't think it quite works that way, but yes, nice try, mate. Nice try. I like it. I like it. Uh, he'd certainly be able to answer those questions. Uh, that's for sure. And uh, yeah, uh, like I said, a celebrated spinner has worked with some of the best in the game. As uh, no, another uh, Logan, you got something else for us? No, I just want to jump on <laughs> Ed's text there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with with stumped today, back to its normal time of eleven uh, thirty. So we're not going to stump you guys there on the time that it's played. Mm. I will give a little preview that there are White Ferns questions, but to be honest, I don't think they're that hard. Okay. All right. You don't think they're difficult? No. If you've been paying attention to the team in this year, I think you should probably get these. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, that's a, that's a steer maybe for 11.30. Um, and uh, if you think, uh, you think you're hard enough, come and have a go at 11.30. $100 TAB voucher, uh, bonus bet voucher could be all yours. Uh, coming up shortly, we're going to be talking baseball. Uh, with Jason Matthews. He is the shortstop for the Auckland Tuatara. We'll do that after the latest in news and sport with Aroha. It is 28 away from 10 o'clock here on SENZ. This is Mornings with Ian Smith. Thanks to Brandt, your local John Deere equipment supplier, Ricardo Ball. In for Smithy, well, he is away at commentating cricket over in Australia. That second test between the Windies and the Aussies underway in Adelaide later this afternoon. Uh, we're talking a different sort of uh, bat and ball sport now. We're talking baseball and the Auckland Tuatara. And joining us from the Auckland Tuatara is Jason Matthews. G'day, Jason. How are you? Good morning, man. I'm good. How are you? Yeah, good, man. Good. Uh, you have, uh, you guys have actually just uh, got back from Perth. Uh, how was that series, mate? I mean, uh, good to get a, a win on the road. Yeah, man, it was awesome. The guys played really good, and uh, yeah, we were going in with a they're a tough competition, but we were going in like full full blazing, and we were ready to compete. And we came away with the series series dub, so we're proud of that. 
Yeah, and I know there's a, there's a few uh, people in that uh, in that setup out of Texas, mate. They would have been enjoying the heat over there as opposed to what they've got back here. <laughs> yeah, but they enjoyed it. They said it was too dry for them, though. You know? <laughs> it's not. It's not like the American heat. <laughs> yeah, they, they can't can't keep them happy, mate. Can't keep them happy. Yeah, can't keep them happy. <laughs> uh, how are you? How are you, how are you with your form? I mean, you've been going pretty good with the bat so far this season. Yeah, man. I'm just trying to stay locked in, confident in myself that I can get the job done like any way I can, and I just, you know, just practicing hard trying to get ready for my season too yeah well i mean you're here on loan from the white Sox uh in, in major league baseball you've played obviously college baseball as well how, how much have you done on loan at the at the feeder systems you know like double a triple a etc well i played with the double a team in uh spring training but during the season i was with a high a team and i was just learning a lot from all those guys because some of those guys are like it was their time to go to double A, so I was just learning as much as I can from them and then implement it to my game, and then hopefully that takes me to the next level. So just being around those guys that I know that I go into the next level will help me get to where I want to be. And, I mean, the level, you talk about the level, you're, you're at high A, uh, you know, the way the system works, and it's double A, triple A, and then the majors. I mean, where does the AEBL stack up compared to those uh, to, to those sort of competitions? I think it's in the mix of it. Like um, the competition we're in in the ABL is kind of like high A. We got a bunch of guys. We play against a bunch of guys that have been in the high A system, double A system, and a few guys that are in the major leagues that have made made it that far. And so it's just it's kind of like the competition that I was in last year. So I'm competing really well against them, and I feel comfortable. What are the work ons for you? I mean, obviously you're great. You know, as a shortstop, uh, it's it's down to talent and reactions, um, and and with the bat, you know, it's you know, I guess it's reading pitches and, and and having the power. But what are those little indefinables that you got to work on that get you from one level to the next? Uh, I think it's just all about being confident in yourself and uh, doing all the fundamental uh, drills right, all the fundamental stuff, field field a routine ground ball, play catch with your first baseman when throwing it across the infield. And just uh, having really good ABs, and I think doing all that every day consistently will get you, get you to the top and where you want to be. Can you, at a certain level, can you start to read what's going to be a fastball, what's going to be a slider, uh, what's going to be a knuckleball, etc.? Or does that differ pitcher to pitcher? Uh, that's different pitcher to pitcher, and when you get up in levels, you start uh, setting pitches that you want to hit in certain counts because. Baseball's tough enough sport as it is. You know, it's hard to read pitching, so you just either pick one, or just you, you get lucky and hit the ball. <laughs> <laughs> you get lucky and hit the ball. That sounds yeah. that, that that sounds like how I'd roll, um, <laughs> Jason. I mean, it, you know, it becomes a bit of a game of chess, doesn't it? You know, the uh, yeah, you know yeah. the pitcher will go, "Hey, I'm going to give you a fastball, and I'm going to let you see what a fastball looks like, and then he might uh, disguise a knuckleball so it looks like a fastball." Yeah, yeah, it's, it is a game of chess, man. Like, you think you're going to be getting your pitch every time and you don't, and then he comes around and pitches you away, behind, like, just different pitches and, like, certain counts. So if you're ahead in the count, you're like, oh, okay, I'll get a fastball here definitely for him to get a strike, but he gives you an off speed and you're like, oh, okay, I didn't see that coming. Yeah. So um, it's just back and forth, like, competing against each other and 
you just got to set your own pitch and we with and what what location. I would imagine a lot of that then you know outside of standing in a batting cage hitting a thousand balls out of the out of the machine um, is one thing you can do, uh, but it doesn't prepare you for that mental challenge. So what do you guys do in a professional environment? Might not even be at the Tuatara. It might be something you do in the White Sox setup that it, uh, that that it fine tunes the mind, if you like, in the mental side of the game. Yeah, so we practice hitting every pitch to the best we can and driving it to the other side of the field. And but most of the time, it's just see ball and react to the ball. And but you also talk about approach. So our approach, every hitter, his approach is like different, but. Mine's middle away, fastball, and then I'll just react to an off-speed in. So if I see an off-speed in, I know it's going to be middle-middle and I can drive it back up the middle. But if I see a fastball inside, I'm definitely taking it because that's not my pitch I want. I just want a middle away so I can drive the ball and hopefully drive drive guys in and yeah. on base. You, you talk about see the pitch hit the ball. What's the reaction time between the ball you know, leaving a guy's hand and it getting to the plate? Oh man, it feels like a split second <laughs> with all these guys throwing really hard. But I think that's how it is. You, you just you just sit in the pitch, and then if you see that for a split second, you got you swing. Yeah, right. And and that so that reaction timing that that's obviously something you do in training as well. You, you're training those fast twitch fibers and 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 your reaction and uh, the the messaging from your eye to your brain to your arms. Yeah. So you just you block out everything from your mind, and you just see the ball, and then. Bam. whack it back up the middle so it's just you you learn you develop it over time like pro ball or college pro ball it just gets better and better each level you go to what's been the uh the big adjustment for you i mean obviously you grew up in papakura um and then you went and did uh, did college in the states and now you you know obviously being signed to the to the white Sox. um what's that adjustment been like for you it's a pretty big adjustment from college to pro ball Pitches are more developed, more in tune with knowing their stuff, how their stuff works. So I think the biggest challenge for me was uh, the mental side of baseball, uh, knowing knowing what pitches are going to be coming and which counts, and learning to to understand myself mentally if I'm struggling, what's going to help me get through that, and what can I do to improve my mental my mental state to move up further and become mentally stronger in the different divisions. So that with the college ball, is it, I, I, I know this is a generalisation, but is it, is it kind of like because of the age of the guys, there's a bit of alpha dog going on and it's just guys trying to throw as hard and as fast as they can most of the time? Yep, yep, that's how it is. Guys trying to throw hard and try, they think they can gas, gas a fastball by you, but you just, as, as pro ball hitters now, like, that's not going to work. You got, you got to have good stuff to get to get really good hitters out. And so that's the that's the difference for pitchers. Uh, what have you noticed as a difference for, for you as a as a shortstop um, in the field and, and then as a bat as well? What have been the work-ons for you switching from college to pro ball? Uh, probably in pro ball, they, they hit the ball a lot harder than college. And I can tell you that, like, the ball gets on you really quick. And that's the one thing I learned uh, first, first season, first ground ball. Boom, ground ball hits me in the chest. I'm like, okay, they hit the ball really hard. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you and got... just hitting, it's just like, yeah, just stay in your approach, see the ball and hit the ball. Yeah. You got to keep it simple because it's hard enough. You start thinking about all this stuff on your own and then that might 
get you in trouble down the line. Yeah, man, it's uh, everything just happens that much faster. Um, yeah. What about the adjustments um, for you to being in that pro environment with the White Sox, and and how did that opportunity come about that you got signed to uh, one of the major league baseball teams out of Chicago? Yeah, so I went to a junior college for two years in Iowa. Did really well there defensively, and then got a Division One scholarship in South Carolina and hit hit really well. Defense was really well, and then had no offers after there. So I went to an independent ball club and played three months there. Played really well. Average was high. Defense was really good. And my coach in that team was a uh, he used to be with the White Sox. He was affiliated with the White Sox, and he he told them that I was a good teammate. Really good ball players. He's I got much to learn, and I because I just started playing baseball not too long ago, and then they took a they took a risk on me, and they said it was a good risk. That's a, uh, that's, that's how I got there. Yeah, man, that's great. That's great news for you. What's the what's the rivalry like um, between the White Sox and the Cubs in Chicago? And have have you had much of uh, experience to that? You know, we're walking around in your White Sox gear and getting some Cubs fan yell abuse at you from the other side of the street. You got any any of that sort of stuff <laughs> going on? No, I haven't had any of that actually. But there's there's a bit of a competition between some of us on our teams. You know, like like oh. My, my club's better than your club and, so, and all that. So it's just banter going back and forth and saying who's the best club. But no, I haven't had any of that on the streets yet. Okay. And who's got the best banner at the Tuatara other than you? Oh, <laughs> uh, probably yeah, the Americans there. They, they, they take the mickey out of everything, so it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they like a chat, man. They like a chat. Uh, you yeah, gotta... they, love, they love that. <laughs> yeah. What about this weekend, man? What can we expect this weekend? What do you What do you make of the Oppo this weekend, and uh, how confident are you of another series win? Pretty confident in our, in our team. Like the boys are on a high right now, and uh, I think I think if we believe in ourselves that we can like win this competition, I think we'll give every team a run for their money and just uh, prove to the ABL that that we deserve to be here. And, and win that ship. How, how so, deep? Yeah, the boys just got to stay confident. Yeah, right. It's, 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 I mean, a lot of it is belief and confidence. Um, yep. How deep is that Aces roster? Oh, I heard they were pretty deep with a a lot of a lot of big names and high talented guys. But we just got to compete with them, and I know that we can compete with them. Yeah, underway tomorrow night at North Harbour Stadium, a 7 o'clock start there, and then a double header on Saturday at 3 and 7 o'clock, and then a Sunday morning at 11 start as well. So uh, in terms of um, you know managing yourself as an athlete, uh, are you likely to play most of all four games as a shortstop and, and, and uh, part yes. of the batting roster? Yeah, uh, I've been playing every game since we started. I'll be playing third base, second base, and uh, DH. Designated hitter. Yep. I mean, you that's gotta... that's a that's a light day off. <laughs> that's a light day. It's off. not a day off, but it's a light day off. Uh, you'll take it, man. You'll take it. Hey, Jason, yeah. thanks very much for your time, man. It's been great chatting to you. Uh, best of luck this weekend worries. against Melbourne, and uh, fingers crossed, we're talking to you about a pennant in a little while, eh? Yep, thanks, mate. Appreciate it. Cheers. Go well. There we go. Jason Matthews from the Auckland Tuatara talking to us uh, that series against Melbourne at North Harbour Stadium right across this weekend. It is 16 away from 10.
on SCNZ. Yeah, just before we go to the break, though, uh, Ricardo, I know we sort of touched on the presser at, at New Zealand Rugby with Mark Robinson and uh, Dane Patsy Reddy. I do have a little bit of audio. I know we briefly talked about it just before, but this is uh, what Mark Robinson had to say when talking about picking the next head coach and doing so before the World Cup. Well, we, we certainly acknowledge that um, that is part of the deliberation we're going through, um, recognising that the past and the rationale for um, you know, previous ways of um, appointments, uh, previous processes around appointments, um, versus what's happening in the international environment and learnings from um, the last appointment process as well. So, yes, that is fair to say, Mark, and the discussions we're having with all of our all of our talent um, across the board um, would, would signal that we acknowledge that as well. Um, you know, we're keeping a very close eye on what's happening internationally, obviously, and um, you know, we feel a lot of a lot of sympathy for what's happened in you know in England and, and Wales around really good people, um, both at an executive, administrative level, and a coaching level. And um, but at the same time, for us, that means we have to be aware of what that means for our talent too. And we are, as Patsy has said, we're keeping a very close eye on that. One of your employees who you've released yesterday urged you to contract Scott Robson as soon as possible. What's your response to those words? Oh well, he's one of five million people that's got an opinion on this, isn't he? So I mean, that's you know, we we get lots of good advice in this area. Mark, so uh, and we, we certainly, um, you know, as an exec and a board, we um, had a good discussion yesterday, as Patsy has touched on. So, um, we, we acknowledge the environment, as I've already said, um, we acknowledge it's changing and moving um, uh, quickly, and we're having lots of constructive, you know, conversations as a result of that. Yeah, a lot of good politicians speak from Mark Robinson, that's what we've come to expect. It is uh, 14 away from 10 here on SCNZ. You got to know. Smithy's Multi. Know when to walk away and know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. All right, here it is, uh, the multi four today. Uh, we are going to start in New Zealand with the cricket, and there's a Ford Trophy, couple of Ford Trophy matches today, ND versus Auckland, and Canterbury versus Wellington. These two teams are going head-to-head, and I like the look of Rachin Ravindra at $4 to be the top run scorer for Wellington. He's coming off the back of a century in his last dig, so I think $4 is pretty good money for Rachin Ravindra to be top scorer for Wellington against Canterbury today. Uh, we'll back that up with the Breakers to beat the Sydney Kings head-to-head tonight at $1.71. And then uh, we will take an NBA game as well. The Clippers, uh, they won last time out. This time, they're on the road playing the Orlando Magic, who are pretty much fielding uh, the cast of Disney World in their team this year. Uh, and, I mean, the Magic are at home and are paying fours. Um, so you've got to take the Clippers there at $1.36. Put all of that together, it returns $9.30. So there is your multi for today. What do you reckon, Logan? Hopefully uh, it comes off better than yesterday's one. Yeah, well, yesterday's one, I was, I was unlucky. It's fair to say I was unlucky because I had Sophie Devine to be the top run scorer and she was the top run scorer until the last ball of the innings and, <laughs> and missed out by one run. Yeah, not only that, uh, you bet against my boys, and my boys came through beating the Dallas Stars 4-0, got absolutely goalied by uh, Matt Murray, so I'm pretty happy with that personally. Yeah, that was that was a crazy game because going into that, I mean, obviously the Stars were, were favourites. It was pretty even, but it was, what, $1.83 paid, it played $1.90. Mm. But the expected goals in that game, because of how attacking the Stars have been this season, was, what, nearly six? 
Yeah, five. Uh, uh, the fancy stats, the advanced stats, as we like to call it in the in the hockey community, five point nine seven goals uh, expected. They were stopped by Matt Murray there as he as they blanked out the stars. So that was an awesome game to watch. So they could have had half a dozen, but they just ended up with one egg. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of how it turned out for the Dallas Stars, unfortunately. Well, fingers crossed this one goes a little better. It is six away from ten here on SENZ. Mornings with Ian Smith. Thanks to Brandt, your local John Deere equipment supplier. Ricardo Paul, with you had a text earlier. I was talking about David Warner and uh, pulling out of his application to be the captain of the Australian white ball team because they wanted to have a public hearing on it. Uh, this one, no name on it, but uh, good morning, Ricardo. I agree with your sentiments around David Warner, the person. His catastrophic lack of sense uh, led to an incident that will emerge from time to time forever. I imagine that he would now not want any more oil chucked on this bonfire for his kids' sake and in the future. Any renewed microscope on himself right now during a debate will also be uncomfortably itchy for everyone involved. Yeah, couldn't agree more, so... Uh, it's a it's a tetchy one. It's a tetchy one. He's certainly not covered himself in glory on this one. Coming up in the next hour, Ross Carl, David Long join us. We're going to be uh, talking rugby, cricket, World Cup and tennis. And we will also catch up with Hugh Bainan, the GM of the National Basketball League and talk all things basketball from the NBL schedule to the breakers to the NBA and his beloved Sacramento Kings. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Welcome into the panel from Sky Sports, Ross Carl. How are you? Yeah, good, mate. Yourself? Yeah, good, thank you. And from stuff.co.nz, David Long. G'day, David. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks, Ricardo. Hi there, Ross. All right, boys. Let's get into it. Uh, we also uh, we had a uh, big presser from New Zealand Rugby this morning uh, announcing Dame Patsy Reddy becoming the first female chair of New Zealand Rugby. Here's one of the things that she said about what she sees her role is and what her work ons want to be. You know, we saw a whole different approach to rugby this year, didn't we, through the Rugby World Cup, particularly with our Black Ferns. And I think... Um, Allowing fans to uh, get to know the players a bit more, to engage in um, participating at some level, um, watching the rugby, of course, and respecting the rugby, but seeing it more as something that they can participate in, whether it's through, you know, now that we've got our um, commercial uh, partnership up and running, whether it's through um, expanding our digital content and and access to the game and the and the high performance part of it, but it's also going into the communities. You know, bringing back the uh, the love of the game at community level, the heartland uh, rugby, seeing. Uh, school boys and school girls excited about playing rugby and in particular and you mentioned the women and girls I think we've got to be um, really focusing on transitioning girls into the game because it's you know it's uh, for, for for girls particularly who haven't played um, those co- uh, contact sports we've got to make sure they do it properly safely and securely and uh, with a good uh, welcoming environment around them. So that was uh, what she said in terms of uh, work-ons for her and, and, and things that she wants to to tackle off the top, uh, Ross. Uh, what did you make of, of that as a, as an initial statement, and uh, what do you make of the appointment? Well, it's a nice direction, isn't it? It really is a nice direction, because one of the things that rugby really needs to find is a connection with the fans. It needs to stay relevant in a market where there is so much choice. And we did see during the World Cup how you can connect with a casual fan how the Blackburns did a really good job of connecting with a casual fan. 
the, the thing for me, Ricardo, above all else, is you need the high-performance teams to be on board with this, especially within the men's game. You need the coaches, you need the trainers, you need all of the high-performance managers to be on board with this concept. Because in the end, you can have a lot of great ideas, but if they're not on board, when a coach says, no, we lost on the weekend and we're not doing that, that's the final word. The mm. PR people, the marketing people, those people, they, they don't have a say. When the coach says no, it's no. And that's where the power balance is. So they need to make sure that for all of those things that she says, for all of the wonderful ideas that the marketing team and the PR teams have, the coaches understand the relevance of selling rugby as much as winning rugby. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point, isn't it, David? Uh, uh, and especially selling it to a new crowd because we did see a very new crowd, a very different crowd at those Black Ferns uh, games at the World Cup games than you would normally have seen, say, at, a, at an All Blacks game. Yeah, that's right. Um, I think uh, so. Interesting points from Ross there as well. Um, it, you know, it's about keeping that momentum of what happened at the Women's World Cup. You know, do they? Do they keep that going? Do they manage to keep um, the, the, the profile the Black Ferns have got now, or is it going to sort of fade away? And I think that's going to be going to be the big challenge, really. I mean, uh, it's just a surprise that Stuart Mitchell has gone so soon after just over 18 months in the job. He barely sort of got his, his feet under the table, really, before leaving. But I guess it's a good it's a good sort of time for Patsy to to come into the come into the job, considering that um, you know the Silver Lake deal's done, the Women's World Cup. Is is over the the arrangements with uh, Super Rugby's um, uh, future is sorted out as well. So it does sort of give her time to sort of to sort of sort of get into that role without any sort of the big sort of you know urgent decisions to to sort of get into stuck into straight away. And obviously, Ian Foster's future as well is also secure now to the World Cup. So it's probably timing wise, it's good for her to come in when she does and um, you know give her sort of a time to sort of find her feet really. Now, a lot has been made about how um, New Zealand rugby's governance hasn't lined up with high-performance sport New Zealand in terms of the number of women on the board. In fact, of all the major sports codes in New Zealand, they were the only ones not to meet the criteria, Ross. Uh, the cynical part of me just says that's what this is about. What about you? Well, I mean, you can be cynical, but in the end, you've got to make the movement and they made it, right? Yep. In the end... They've done it, so you know, congratulations to them. Farah Palmer and Bailey Mackey as deputy chairs. I think a few people were surprised that Bailey didn't get the uh, chairmanship when uh, Stuart Mitchell did. So yeah, look, I think that they're moving in the right direction there, and you know, it's a step by step thing, and 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 they're heading in the right direction with a uh, maybe a better worldview, a little less of a boys' club, a little less of a you know conservative. This is the way we approach it in the past. We'll continue to approach it that way approach, which is, you know, ends at ours, modus operandi for years. So, you know, good on them, I say, for, for going in this direction. Yeah. Uh, David, what what was your take on that? I mean, was that something that occurred to you when you saw the story? Um, yeah, I sort of agree with Ross, really. You know, it's, it's easy to be cynical and say, you know, they're just doing it. It's a tokenistic move. But, um, you know, you've got to sort of... That's, that's quite a sort of oh, insulting, but you know it's, it's sort of degrading what what what, what she can bring to the role. Really, you know, she's you know you look at her background and what she's achieved. It's, it's a, you know incredible record of of, of what she's done. Um, and you know, then I guess one thing is that you know the, the rugby knowledge. You, you, um, you know, for bringing people, you know, how many people outside the game you bring into what, what sort of rugby expertise they've got is. Um, is, is something that um, I guess once needs to be looked at, but you know I, I don't have any 
issues with it or, or think it's just all tokenistic, really. So. Well, you speak of, uh, of of having respect in the game and, uh, you know, sort of having experience. Uh, there's a bloke floating around at the moment who's got plenty of, of both, and that is Eddie Jones. Uh, Ross, where to next for Eddie? I mean, is that something you think the Australian Rugby Union will look at, uh, whether it's to replace Dave Rennie or to, to be some sort of consultant? Yeah, I mean, he obviously has lots of opportunities coming his way and he's jumped from job to job. Um, Eddie, uh, Ricardo, I'm sure that you can relate to this, reminds me of Jose Mourinho. Yeah. He goes in, he makes a big change, and then the whole place blows up, you know, within a few years of it happening. You know, he's not a long-term option in that way. A genius for a short period of time, but, um, you know, his approach is somewhat combative and um, appears to have cultural issues after a long period of time. I, I would be surprised if Australian rugby put him into a role. It's hard to know, director of rugby, those kind of roles is. It's hard to understand technical directors, what they actually mean. Are they, in the case of Rusty Erasmus, actually the coach? Um, or, you know, are they a person who oversees the, the greater good? I wouldn't want him to interfere with Dave Rennie. Let Dave Rennie do his thing. But he's obviously got a lot of know-how. Um, but is he the kind of guy who is going to unify a union? Is he the kind of guy who's going to oversee how something should go? Maybe not. Maybe he's more of a hired gun. You know, maybe he'll go back to a really high-paying club coaching role. Uh, I, I just wonder whether he's the right guy to take Australian rugby into the future. Yeah. I, I actually saw somebody, uh, an English journalist, float an idea, David, which to, for me, he's, as soon as he said I went, that is so up Eddie Jones's alley. I don't think it matters how much money's on the table. Uh, and that is that uh, Michael Cech has given him a call. He'll be a consultant for Argentina at the Rugby World Cup who are in the same pool as England. I mean, that'd be classic Eddie Jones, wouldn't it? It would be. Well, I mean, don't forget, you know, he helped, um, he's helped South Africa, um, uh, didn't he help them win the World Cup previously as well? You know, it's, um, it's, uh, he, he's, got a, he's got expertise in that and he came, you know, within a whisker of winning the World Cup for Australia in 2003. So he certainly knows his way around, around World Cup. And if I was, if I was rugby Australia, I'd be, uh, fight him, oh, the phrases now, but I'd be desperate to, to get Eddie Jones to work, to work with Dave Rennie. I mean, Dave Rennie, he's hardly sort of, um, you know, covered himself in glory this year for the Wallabies. Um, they had some terrible losses losing to Italy. They should have lost that test against Wales uh, recently. Um, they, 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 need, they need some help, um, and I think he could be the person to give that to him. Um, you know, and I don't think you, you think well, they've already won it. I think I think Ross would remember him better than me, but I seem to remember that didn't that when Dave started off at the Chiefs, uh, Wayne Smith sort of came in there and as a sort of a, above him or assistant coach and sort of helped him out in that. So I don't think Dave is the sort of person that has the ego that sort of says, you know, I'm the man, I call all the shots. Um, I think it would be um, a, a fantastic move for the for the Wallabies if they did bring Eddie into the World Cup. Yeah, it would be an interesting one uh, in terms of how that dynamic would work, but it, I think it would only improve them. Uh, let's stick with Australia, but switch sports cricket. Uh, David Warner this morning has pulled out uh, his application to Captain Australia again. Of course, he had that captaincy ban, Ross, um, and then Australian cricket, uh, when he said, well, look, how about me just captaining in the white ball stuff, said, well, let's have, a, let's have a public hearing about it, which obviously meant they'd have to go over all the stuff from 2018, and he's thrown his toys now and pulled his application, which makes me think, what doesn't he want us to know? Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, it's a little silly, isn't it, to play this kind of stuff out in public and to, to chase your ambitions like that. I mean, mate, if, you, if you're not the captain, you're not the captain. Just deal with it. Go out and score some runs. 
that, that's my take on this. Like, it, it's a little silly, isn't it? And if he's got something to hide, you know, um, okay, okay. But you know, we all know what happened um, back then, and we all know that there's some dubious character. Um, but we also know that he can hit a boundary. So, mate, forget about it. Go hit your boundaries. Yeah, David, where are you, where are you on uh, on your namesake over the ditch? <laughs> it's a confusing one, really. I mean, I was reading the Australian media about it, and they seem quite critical of Cricket Australia. Um, who it seems that they wanted it to get done that David Warner would be able to, to lead sides again, um, and they were quite keen on it being done privately. But this independent um, review committee set up wanted it to be public. But it also. Um, uh, you know, David Warner, what David Warner done or what he tried, what he got his team to do with um, with the ball against that test against South Africa was pretty terrible stuff. And um, you know, I I, I, could, I don't really understand why how he, how Warner can want to, to be allowed to cap, captain sides again, but not having to go through what he did. You know, it's like if you appeal for you know a murder case or something like that after you've been, been found guilty the first time, you don't want anyone to report on it when you have your appeal. Yeah, it, <laughs> It's like, you know, he wants it both ways, really, doesn't he? He wants to be, he wants to be able to play again, but he doesn't want us to be able to talk about what he did again. Yeah, exactly, mate, 100%, 100%. Uh, let's stay with you, David, on this one, because this is right up your alley. Uh, the British Lawn Tennis Association have been fined $1.5 million New Zealand by the ATP for its Wimbledon ban of Russian and Belarusian players. Um, I don't know if that's a big fine for the uh, British Lawn Tennis Association in terms of what they make every year or not. Uh, what was your take on this when you saw it coming? I mean, was it pretty predictable that something like this was going to happen? I never knew any fine was going to come. It's, I mean, they make millions and millions, um, the LTA, from Wimbledon every year, so it's not going to affect them, their bottle line too much. Um, but I think it's pretty petty from the ATP. Um, their stance when they wouldn't allow players to get ranking points for Wimbledon was petty, and all it, all it did was hurt the players um, more than more than hurt Wimbledon because the tournament carried a long time. Um, and the, the issue is, I think you know, sadly, it doesn't look like there's going to be any end to the war in Ukraine anytime soon. And you hear Putin today is talking about escalating it. You know, it's going to go on, and where are we going to be at if it's if it's still the same situation more than next year, will they will they continue to ban players from Russia or or will they back down? It, backing down is going to be, you know, it's going to be a tough situation for the LTA to go and do that after this year's stance. And I don't know, it could be we could be even into a, a hell of a lot worse situation by when we come to next year's Wimbledon about how it's all dealt with. It's going to be an interesting one, uh, Ross, on this one. I mean, I kind of, I kind of look at the broader scope of things and and think, you know, the Tories at the moment over there are, are struggling in the popularity stakes. Uh, it might be an easy win for them just to pay this on behalf of and be seen as the heroes here. Yeah, yeah. Surely there has to be an element of a conscience vote that the ATP can can understand that you know you're going to have to allow tournaments and players to make a stand on something that is so important and. You know, for them to come out and hand out a fine is, I, I think, I think it's petty, because you know, quite frankly, you know, we all know what's going on, and and Wimbledon has made a stance on it, and it's it is this stance, you know, <laughs> it's a war that's being you know picked on it in a small country, and they made a stance on it, and that's fine, that's fine, it's their tournament, let them be. Um, you know, and there might be an effect on the rankings, and there might be an effect on players' opportunities. It's a tennis tournament for two weeks of the year. You know, really, 
just and it might be the tennis tournament, but it's a tennis tournament for two weeks of the year. You know, to, to give them you know one and a half million dollar band seems like a, a drop in the ocean for the amount of money that they must make on their tournament and you know move on. And and if a political party wants to come in and um, you know make some political capital of it, yeah, go ahead. But it seems petty to me from the um, from the point of view of the tennis association. Yeah, well, especially when you look at you know what other sporting organisations have done, including you know the Olympics, who are uh, well known for moving glacially on anything. I mean, they've already done it. Uh, the the and FIFA have done it. Uh, UEFA have done it. I mean, it's not like the ATP uh, sort of British Lawn Tennis Association are out on their own here and doing this, are they, David? Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, it's, it, I guess it's different in terms of the Olympics, where they they make them plans is stupid flag and you know russian uh, olympians or whatever it is but the, the, i think the, the fifa issue is, is certainly you know comparable um whether actually you know i've heard interesting stories about whether fifa actually wanted to go ahead with banning russia or whether they were just pressured into it by um uh was it poland refused to play against russia in mm. one of the world cup playoff games that sort of forced them to to, to, to go and do the ban after that really um I don't know what the situation or the answer is really, but you know, it's. I, I, I guess we're going to see more and more Russian sports people or sports, te- well, particularly sports teams, continue to be banned around the world. And um, you know, so I, don't, I don't really have a problem with it. I think um, you know, the, the, we have a point the rest of the world can make that they're not um, they don't agree with what's going on in Ukraine, then the better, really. Yeah, um, that uh, leads uh, nicely. Well, maybe not nicely is not the right term, but it leads us into uh, FIFA, the World Cup. We're into the quarterfinal stages, Ross. Uh, I know that uh, Sky have been going big on this. You had dedicated channel. You had games left, right, and centre. Replays everywhere. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Goran must be must have about three months days in lieu based off the back of this tournament, all the hours he's put in, mate. Uh, but we're at quarterfinal stage now. Who do you expect? Uh, is going to be in the semi-finals. Um, we've got England versus France. Uh, they, whoever wins that, plays the winner of Morocco, Portugal, and then the winner of Brazil, Croatia, plays the winner of the Dutch and the Argentinians. Yeah, it's been an amazing World Cup, hasn't it? Like to, to make a prediction is actually very, very difficult on any game because just bizarre things have been happening, haven't they? Um, I would imagine. Um, from the look of Brazil, that you'd be, you know, pretty tough to, to go against them. Um, just from a, you know, a, I suppose a, a heartfelt point of view, Argentina, yeah, and seeing Messi continue through, uh, I can't. Um, France versus England, maybe France. Um, Morocco versus Portugal, Portugal, but who knows? Morocco could just get onto D and um, and win on penalties again. Who knows? Yeah, well, I mean, exactly. That's what they did to Spain. Although the Spanish really, uh, it was funny. I saw one of the Spanish uh, players um, tweet something about how Morocco didn't turn up to play, and all they wanted to do was defend and play on the counter. It's like in 120 minutes, Spain had two shots. Uh, I don't let's talk about throwing uh, stones in glass houses, David. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's, oh, Spain have been a terrible disappointment, weren't they? After that, uh, the seven 0 win over Costa Rica. Um, I, I think France must be licking their lips at the moment. I, I think I don't think they'd be threatened too much by England, and I think they will, they'll have way too much class for, for Portugal, um, who obviously are going to beat, well, not obviously, but you'd think they're going to beat Morocco in the quarterfinals. Um, I think the bottom half of the draw, if you go that way, is it's, it's definitely France with a, a straightforward route to the final. And how exciting is it going to be potentially for Brazil against Argentina? Um, semi-final, which, um, which is looking at that would be it's going to be fantastic. I mean, you know, you always sort of get people saying is this the best World Cup ever, and 
Infantini has already been saying that, but you'd expect that from him anyway. But um, certainly, I, I think it's got to be right up there in terms of the World Cup. It's been sort of the right. You want you want some upsets. You don't want too many. You don't want I would just you don't want Costa Rica against Morocco in the World Cup final. But you know you want you want the big guns, but you also want to see some some great results and and um, upsets along the way. And we've had all of that and some fantastic goals. I think it's been a it's been a brilliant World Cup, really. Yeah, Gianni Infantino saying it's the best World Cup ever is like when bands have a new album coming out and they're doing interviews and they're saying oh, it's our best album yet. Like it's just it's just the way it rolls, right? It's predictable. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, and they do every every Olympics as well, don't they? That's the greatest one. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hey, gentlemen, thanks very much for your time on the panel today. Go well and enjoy your weekends, eh? You too. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Uh, Ross Cowell from Sky Sports, David Long from stuff.co.nz with us. It is 22 past 10 here on SENZ. 10.28 here on SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith. Thanks to Brandt, your local John Deere equipment supplier. A couple of texts through on the temper bedpost text machine. Uh, hey, guys, regarding the White Ferns, do non-central contracted players get more per game i.e. match fees, than central contracted. To my way of thinking, it's the difference between a full-time staff member and a subcontractor. Uh, that's from James. I think from a match fee point of view, yes, they do, James, but I will check that. Uh, that is not something I know 100% uh, for sure. Another one from Craig. Hey, guys, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't Steve Smith captain of the Australian cricket team when the sandpaper incident happened? And hasn't he stood in as captain since, uh, or has certainly been part of the leadership team? Why is there so much discussion about Warner but not Smith? I wouldn't have either anywhere near leadership roles, but I don't understand the lack of focus on Smith when ultimately he was the one in charge. It was his team. Cheers, Craig. Yeah, Craig, uh, I had a bit of a look at this because you'll never believe this, but Pat Cummins has been ruled out of the test today. Uh, starting today against the West Indies in Adelaide, and Steve Smith's been named captain uh, for the team, uh, for the, for this test at least. Uh, so I did a bit of reading after getting your text uh, to double-check the facts, and yes, Steve Smith was the captain, Warner was the vice-captain, uh, but from the inquiry they did, it seemed that Steve Smith wasn't aware of what Steve, uh, what David Warner uh, was doing uh, in terms of the sandpaper and the players that he had involved. And then when he found out that there was something going on, he basically turned a blind eye and said, I don't want to know. So the uh, bent on it was that he wasn't the one that instigated it, but Warner was. That, I think, is probably where the difference is, although turning a blind eye to it is pretty unforgivable as well when you are the captain of the team. But Craig, as far as I'm aware, that is why and that... Is, uh, is is how it's played out. Uh, and as I said, Dave Warner has officially thrown his toys. I wouldn't be surprised if he retires from playing for Australia uh, very, very soon and just goes and chases uh, the CPL contracts, the, the 100 contracts, that sort of thing. Uh, but we'll have to see on that front. Coming up shortly, Hugh Bainan's going to join us. We're going to talk NBL, Breakers and NBA. Right now, though, here is the latest in news and sport with Aroha. This is SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith. Thanks to Brandt, your local John Deere equipment supplier. We are 26 away from 11. And Hugh Bainan, the general manager of the Sales NBL, joins us. G'day, Hugh. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Ricardo. That song's now stuck in my head for the rest of the day, so thanks for that. Hey, anytime. Anytime. You've got Logan to thank for that one, mate. <laughs> um, now, you, you announced your schedule for the coming season, uh, tipping off in April uh, for the Cells NBL. You announced that the other day. April 6th is the is the uh, tip-off for the first game between the Bulls and the Hawks, uh, which is great. And I guess overall, from uh, a fan point of view and a broadcast point of view, uh, the big change this season is, is your tip-off times. 
Yeah, brought them forward um, seven o'clock on the Thursdays and Fridays and Saturdays, which is uh, really just a more family-friendly time. You know, we listen to our clubs and, and what they've been through. The team is what they've noticed, the trends of their fans. It's also something the Breakers did a few years ago. Uh, so work closely with our venues and with Sky Sports to see if we can make that happen, and we could. So great news because we just see more and more a trend of younger younger, um, well, kids, really, coming to watch the Towers NBL, which is great and aligns with exactly what we're trying to do and what basketball New Zealand are trying to do and bring the sport to that generation. So it worked out nicely. So 7 o'clock, better TV time, I think, and also much better uh, going to stadium time. Yeah, and, and speaking of TV, uh, every Sunday <laughs> night there's going to be a game live on Prime TV uh, at 7 o'clock as well, which is great free to wear. So everybody can watch the Cells NBL. Yeah, that, and that was a game changer in 2022. That was our Saturday night game in 2022. Um, moved it to Sunday this time just to get away from any, you know, going up against Super Rugby and, and things like that. So I'm um, trying to carve out basketball's own spot on the on the viewing the viewing calendar, so and the viewing schedule. So yeah, Sunday nights would be would be great because it's not always the best time to go out to the arena uh, on a Sunday on a school night. So um, we thought let's put it free to air, and that, that's great. So yeah, again, working closely with Sky to make that happen, and uh, really happy it has, and just trying to bring the sport to and the league in particular to as many people as we can. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing is that. It's gone strength to strength, and I, th- I I don't think it can be argued that last season was the most successful, the most visible that the uh, sales NBL has ever been. Um, so, you know, it's how do you top that? Yeah, that's a great question. How do we top that? So, first of all, it's just first of all, it's consolidation. Uh, yeah, we had a really good year. We try not to get too ahead of ourselves and go, well, this is a trend that will be easy to maintain. Uh, we need to consolidate that, make sure we have, at the very least, just as good a year uh, as we just did. A lot of that helped. You know, we, we're not sitting here and pat ourselves on the back too much. We've got everyone in basketball and around the world has got the likes of LeBron James and Steph Curry to thank for, for helping make the sport so big, so, so accessible, so popular and so attractive to, in particular, the younger generation. Um, so it's how can we jump on that and make New Zealand basketball just as accessible and just as attractive for young Kiwis to pick up a ball and start playing uh, and also get behind the tall ferns and the tall blacks as well as the breakers and their local sales NBL teams. So that's the goal. It's a big one uh, and one we try and chip away at. So little things like moving the times and um, I think our clubs did great work last year um, in terms of their recruitment and I think we're going to see as the league becomes and uh, is more attractive. We'll see more and more players wanting to come home to it. Next year's a World Cup year as well, Ricardo. So, of course, the Tall Blacks are playing in the World Cup from the end of August onwards. So that traditionally uh, attracts more of the Tall Blacks home uh, because they want to come and play and be ready and play alongside teammates and in front of Tall Blacks coaches ahead of the World Cup. So all those things we hope come together and make 2023 uh, pretty awesome because, you know, 23 in particular, pretty famous basketball number. So you want to live up to it. Yeah, the mighty MJ. Good stuff. Uh, all right. Mm-hmm. Well, um, we sh- I, I do need to ask you, though, I was a little bit confused when I looked through the schedule because, you know, we've talked about how successful the NBL has been and it's a, a product you want to grow and, and part of that growth is expansion. And, you know, mm-hmm. two expansion teams, I think the Bay of Plenty Stingray and uh, the Queenstown, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use Millionaires because I don't think they had a team, but let's go with the Queenstown Millionaires, <laughs> um, uh, were, were named as expansion sides. I thought they were going to be playing this season. Is is that not the case? 2024. Yeah, right. that was, so it's always been the case that they, they join in 2024. So, yeah, so they have plenty of locked in. Queenstown have got, what's the date today? 
8th of December. They've got eight days to meet their condition, uh, which was just around getting their stadium up to scratch um, ahead of the 2024 season. So we'll be sitting down with them in about eight days' time and just making sure that the plans are in place to get the Queenstown event sent up to NBL standard. Um, <clears throat> and then um, we look forward to welcoming those two teams in, in, in 2024, which will be really exciting. Two awesome venues, two awesome places to go and watch your team play away. Um, and two venues, if you're an American import, an Australian import or a European import, uh, pretty cool place to go and spend some time and play some basketball. So, yeah, as soon as we announce those two teams, Man, my phone and my emails have been blowing up about coaches from all around the world, players from all around the world saying, how do I get in touch with this Queenstown franchise? <laughs> because, um, they all want to come and spend four months in winter in Queenstown and uh, play some basketball. So, yeah, excited to bring them in in 2024. Yeah, mate, uh, I'm looking forward to that. That'll be that'll be huge. I mean, we know that Bay of Plenty are the Stingrays. Queenstown, are they are they still sitting on what that, uh, that nickname's going to be? Yeah, keeping that quiet, keeping that to themselves. I'm not sure whether they've either, if they haven't settled on one yet or they want to bring it out with a special marketing campaign. I'm not sure. Um, but, yeah, they, they're keeping that one to themselves right now. So excited to hear what they come up with. Yeah, I, I remember throwing ideas around when it got announced. I think we did some phones on it and got – and I think the one – I mean, I, I said the millionaires is a bit of a joke, but I think one that was pretty strong, and the more I think about it, the more it makes sense – and these are colours that I don't think are taken in the NBL at the moment, but the Queenstown Lakers wouldn't be the worst. I now, yeah, I don't. I'm, I'm not sure if the name Lakers has been floated, but I can tell you the colours of the Lakers have been and are definitely high on the list with the with the franchise. Right. So okay. that's a chance. Any a particular name that I've heard floated around is the Yetis. Um, but I'm not sure. I also know there might be a bit of um, uh, thought about maybe in, incorporating some Tadeo Māori into the name, which would be fantastic, like we have in Toihi. Um, so, yeah, we'll leave the name up to them. But I, I have seen a few things come across my desk with the Lakers colours, so maybe that it, maybe that's what we'll see. And, and you're right, we haven't got that in the South NBL. It's obviously the Sydney Kings wear them in the Australian NBL and famously the Los Angeles Lakers wear them, so it's a pretty good colour combo. Yeah, uh, it's a, a very good colour combo and it immediately, uh, you know, gives fans another team to not like um, because, you know, we know how <laughs> we know how well the, the Lakers and the Sydney Kings are liked uh, by other fans. Yeah. Uh, speaking of that, the Sydney Kings are in town tonight. Uh, they uh, In this town anyway, not your town, but in Auckland, uh, to play the Breakers. Uh, it is a, a top two clash. Um, mm-hmm. Hopefully, uh, the social media manager at the Breakers doesn't upset anybody in the, in the Sydney Kings, and, and and we get another Breakers win. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I I kind of hope they win because I copped it last week because um, well, I rolled in. I was filling in for Andrew Mulligan on the commentary for the Breakers against the Wildcats game, or what forever will be known as the Corey Webster game. Um, my first time this season, I walked into Spark Arena, first time in a long time actually for me, uh, and I uh, saw Modi Mo, the Breakers head coach, and he goes, "Oh, what are you doing here?" I said, "Oh." Andrew's away, so I'm filling in. And he goes, does and I will tone the language down. Yeah. He goes, he goes, do you people know nothing about preserving a streak? <laughs> <laughs> so the, the superstition in him came out, and then obviously they lost, and I got out of there pretty quickly uh, before an angry Israeli came after me. So um, hopefully they'll be back to winning ways because Andrew Mulligan's back on deck uh, alongside Casey Frank against the Kings, although it's going to be tough. I mean, the Kings have been, you know, alongside the Breakers, the standard bearers are the reigning champs. Um, They've got the best player in the league in Xavier Cooks, who we saw in the South NBL this year as well for the Wellington Saints. So uh, that's going to be tough. But um, they just didn't really find their rhythm 
against the Wildcats. Yep, Corey had a good game, um, but offensively, uh, the Breakers never found their rhythm. Barry Brown Jr., who's been such a superstar, um, he played well. His stats were good, but he didn't grab the game by the scruff of the neck like he did a few nights prior to that in Christchurch and um, didn't help a bit of foul trouble to the likes of Jarrell Brantley as well. But, you know, they've exceeded my expectations this season. I'll be the first to say I didn't pick them to be uh, up around the pointy end of the ladder. I kind of had them knocking on the door of the playoffs. So to see them return to <clears throat> the form of kind of yesteryear that many of us remember has been just awesome to see. Um, so win or lose tonight, I think everyone's pretty happy with how the breakers are going. It's, it's uh Settle down and watch a great game of basketball, I think. Yeah, no, it should be good, mate. It should be an absolute cracker, actually. I see Andrew Bogut has said that Xavier Cooks is uh, ready for the NBA. We also saw uh, Homicide Williams say that he thinks the Breakers' imports are the best imports in league history. Uh, you mm. know, the old um, immovable object with the unstoppable force. Uh, what do you think is going to happen tonight? Oh, I'm picking the breakers. I think home advantage, you know, I, I, absolutely. I think having having home coming off one of those, what you hope is a bit of a reality check game against the Wildcats, they would have worked super crazy hard this week. Um, I'm picking the breakers. They had a whole, they've also had um, a fair bit of time off since um, since Sunday night's game. So it's not a back-to-back or anything. So yeah, I absolutely think the breakers are going to get it done. I think it's going to be an absolutely ripping game. Uh, and David Cooks, he's ready for the NBA, 100%. We were so lucky to have him in the South NBL this year. What a fantastic bloke. Like, an incredible character, awesome role model, fantastic athlete. Um, so I wish him all the best, uh, just not tonight. Yeah, just, just, <laughs> just not tonight, mate, just not tonight. Uh, and uh, quickly before I let you go, Hugh, um, I'm looking at the Western Conference standings and I tell you, people in Sacramento must be getting a nosebleed. The Kings are at fourth. What happened? <laughs> oh, it's a brave new world, my friend. Um, I'm one of, I would suggest, probably three or four Sacramento Kings fans in New Zealand. Um, have been since I was 10 years old, and the last time they were good was when I was about 12 years old. Um, longest playoff drought in North American sport, but we're on the way back, baby. Have you seen this light the beam action as well? They've got this laser beam on top of the arena that they fire up into the air, big purple laser beam whenever they win. And so now I've got a T-shirt with light the beam on it. The crowd chant it. They get players to press the button and light the beam. It's just been a whole vibe in Sacramento this year. New coach. Um, they had a bit of a rebuild, obviously, a few years ago when they drafted De'Aaron Fox. A huge trade last year to bring in Sabonis. Controversial trade to bring in DeMont Sabonis and say farewell to Tyrese Halliburton. So um, some big decisions by some brave people. Monty McNair, the general manager, being one of them and bringing Mike Brown in this year has been great. And yeah, they are there. Near the, uh, near the top end of the Western Conference and long may it continue. Yes, indeed, mate. Good stuff, Hugh. Uh, enjoy that. Enjoy the game tonight. Thanks for your time, mate. Go well and we'll talk again soon. Always a pleasure. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Hugh Bain and the GM of the NBL here on SENZ. It is a quarter to 11, and when we come back, uh, we're going to talk Harness Racing New Zealand. It's Harness Racing New Zealand, pacing for purpose, season two. Nine away from 11 here on SENZ. Uh, time for our pick for our Harness Racing Pacing for Purpose. Every week we pick a horse and all the funds we uh, we raise go to Women's Refuge. Uh, today's pick is racing at Winton. Race number six at 426. Uh, and it's uh, number 14, Tweedledee. It's off 15 metres, but in winning form, two starts back and can win again. Now I'm looking at the form. It's had... Last four starts, it's had one win and two seconds. 
So it's all right, considering it's paying 11s, that's not bad. So it's paying 11s and 3.30, but we're going to back Tweedledee uh, for our pacing for purpose horse for this week. Our raise total so far, well, breakfast, 610. Mornings, 607.50. Afternoons, 210. And drive leading the way with 8.22.50. So if this comes in, we'll certainly be hauling in drive, and that's what we want to see. Uh Logan, didn't you say that uh, there was a bit of a, a, a an SENZ record in pacing for purpose last week? Or is that something on the dogs? You mean in uh, how bad this show is performing? Well, no, did, <laughs> I, I thought I overheard you talking to somebody and saying, is that the first week that everybody's won? Oh, yes. I, I, I mean, I don't know if because I wasn't here for the first season of it, but to me, I mean, surely this is the first time in season two that uh, that's happened. I mean, that's amazing that all four shows were able to, um, you know, get some money uh, for all, for the you know our fundraising for charities. But now we just really need to pick up our game for uh, GRNZ and uh, Women's Refuge, which you'll hear about later. Yes, indeed. But $11 on Tweedledee today, if that comes in, boy, will we are looking good. We will have uh, a dog for you a little bit later in the show. Up next, though, it's a Love Racing update here on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. Yes, a couple of minutes away from 11 o'clock. Shane Cuthbert joins us in the studio for the Love Racing Update. SEN's head of racing. How are you doing, Shane? I'm well, thanks, Ricardo. Yourself? Yeah, good, mate. Good. Quiet day on uh, on the on the thoroughbred front today, but a busy old weekend. Correct, yes. We're uh, no racing today, but um, looking ahead to the weekend. Christmas at the races is in full swing. Tauranga tomorrow, Friday. Uh, get along, get your friends together, get out there, get racy. It's great fun. Um, it's a good time of year to celebrate, um, and the races is a good little... Good place to do it. Um, and then we've got three meetings on Saturday. We've got Awapuni, Ascot Park, and the feature meeting is the Sky City Hamilton Waikato Cup Day. At, I've, I've uh, been hearing Rappel. about that because Kempi's got a horse in there that he said he's told me to put the house on it and then he told me to gamble responsibly. Correct. But this yeah, so it's in the it's in the group two Kalazuzu stakes. Uh it's into a dollar ninety, so it's it's uh nice and short, but um she looks like a, a good chance over the weekend. So Kempi's Kempi's in good um good stead there. So but um, as I said, it's a, it's a huge party. It's great, great, great race day to get along to. So if you if you're sort of looking for something to do over the weekend, I'd highly suggest you you get along to that. It's part of the Grand Tour Racing Festival. So if you need any more information on that, visit thegrandtour.nz. Um, in, in conjunction with loveracing.nz and SENZ, we're we're a part of it. So um, yeah, it's a, it'll be a great day out there. Yeah, you're going to be at Waikato. I won't. Weekend? I won't be. You won't, I won't be? be, but I will be in the, in coming weeks. So right. I'm looking forward to get, getting back to Tarapa. Yeah, um, and um, I, it is a great racetrack, and um, the the Hamilton locals love to love to get around it. So um, looking forward to the summer of racing, and it's just starting to really hot up now. So uh, yeah, let's um yeah, it should be should be a good weekend. It should be, mate. It should be a massive weekend. Uh, as Shane said, eat, drink, and get racy. Round up your crew and book now at GrandTour.nz. And uh, Shane, I'll see you a bit later for a bevy at our Christmas do, eh? Sounds good. All right, crack a cold one, crack a cold one. We'll do that soon. After 11 o'clock, we're talking football with Reuben Parker, the new Wellington Phoenix goalkeeping coach. All Wellington! All Wellington! It's wonderful! It's wonderful! All Wellington is wonderful! We're going to win the rain and the Phoenix! All Wellington is wonderful! All Wellington! All Wellington! It's wonderful! It's wonderful! All Wellington is wonderful!
one of the few Phoenix chants from the Yellow Fever that is airable on this radio station <laughs> there. Uh, this is SENZ Mornings. Thanks to Brand, your local John Deere equipment supplier. Coming up in this hour, we are going to have a pick for the uh, Greyhound Racing New Zealand charity run. We'll catch up with staff to see what's coming up after midday as well. And there's a chance for you to play Stumped with a $100 TAB bonus. Be up for grabs. Before we do all of that, though, the Wellington Phoenix have announced the name of their new goalkeeping coach. He is following in the footsteps of some fantastic goalkeeping coaches, some big names who have played the game at the highest level, and Jonathan Gould, Paul Gothard, and, of course, <clears throat> Chris Greenacre as well. Hola, Ruben Parker. How are you, mate? Hey, mate. Good. Yeah, good to be on the show, and, and yeah, thanks for having me on. No, no, my pleasure, mate. My pleasure. Congratulations on the new gig. Yeah, appreciate it. Um, it's It's been up in the air for about a month or so, so it's good to, to have clarity on that and be able to, to move forward with this. Exciting. Yeah, I, I mean, moving forward is something that you've pretty much just done your whole career. I mean, I look at uh, the things you've achieved. You've fast-tracked yourself. I mean, you're still only quite young. What are you, 25? 27. 27. 27. I know, now. I look 25. But... Yeah. <laughs> You'll take it, mate. You'll take it. Put that yeah. on the modeling CV. Pass for 25. Um, yeah. But, I mean, you know, you, you're you now the, the head goalkeeping coach at a professional outfit like the Phoenix in the A-League at, at such a young age. I mean, uh, did you see yourself here at this point in time? Um, look, to be honest, I I got offered to come down and, and take the academy um, as the head goalkeeping coach of the academy. Uh, around this time last year, I moved down in January, uh, and I didn't tell anyone this at the time. But in, in my head, I, I gave myself two years, and I, my aim was to to step into this role. Um, things happened um, pretty quickly with with getting the opportunity to step in, um, and and as soon as that came up, I thought, you know, I'm ready and I want to step up and I want to give it a shot. So um, it happened probably quicker than I I gave myself. Um, well, uh, quicker than I initially thought, but uh, I'm I'm happy it happens sooner, and I'm happy to be in the job now. Yeah, I mean the the other thing people will say he's 27, he's already a, a coach who's as qualified as he is. At what point in, in your in your playing career, because you were at Auckland City and that set up, you were a, an age yeah. group representative under 20s from New Zealand. At what point mm-hmm. did you go? No, I'm gonna I'm gonna focus on the coaching rather than the playing. Um, it, it was a slow transition. It wasn't. It wasn't one day. I I thought, you know what, I'm going to crack on with the coaching. Um, when I was playing for Napier City Rovers and Hawks Bay, I must have been 18 or 19. Uh, I needed. I was studying as well down in, in Hawks Bay, and I needed a bit of extra money. Um, so I started doing private sessions, one on ones, small groups, and it was basically out of necessity for to pay my rent, etc. <laughs> um, but I fell in love with it. I loved it, and then. I realised there's more of a demand for it. Um, I scaled it up into a business uh, that's still running one-stop goalkeeping, um, and and I've been full time with that uh, probably since I started two years later. I started full time um, and haven't looked back. Uh, once I realised it's something that I'm I'm good at, I enjoy. Um, there's plenty of opportunities, um, and it links into already what I was doing playing wise. Um, it kind of gradually started to overtake probably my ambitions as a player. Um, and probably two years ago was where I went. Uh, I'm, I'm 20, 24, 25 at the time. Is a professional career as a goalkeeper likely? Maybe not at that stage. You, you've got to come to, to that realisa- realisation at some stage. Um, 
and there was lots of opportunities presenting themselves as a goalkeeper coach. Obviously, people were happy with the work I was doing. Um, one of those being the New Zealand Under-17s goalkeeper coach role that came up and I put my name in the hat um, and got chosen. Uh, the, the Future Ferns domestic program that was based in Auckland, where I was based at the time, um, that came up and, and they, they approached me about that role as well. And I saw all these opportunities and um, I was loving the work, which is it's obviously important as well. Um, and that's when my mindset started to to shift to this is this is a career I, I really want to put my head down and work hard at, um, and I want to take as many opportunities as I can when they come. You got a couple of very good keepers to work with, and and Ollie Sale and Alex Paulson. Um, mm-hmm. I, to be honest, didn't think we would have Ollie Sale in Phoenix Colours this year after the season he had out last year. I thought he'd find somewhere yeah. offshore. How how long do you do you reckon we do have him? Uh, it's, it's a, a tricky question. Um, maybe possibly slightly loaded. Uh, at, at the moment, all I've got uh, clear in my head is that he's here for this season, um, and I want to make sure that he can back up the season he had last year with with another really good season. Um, and then whatever happens after the season and, and the off season, uh, time will tell. But for now, he's here. He's a Phoenix player. He's, he's been captaining the side. Um, and, and my priority and his priority is to do the best job that we can for, for the Phoenix. Yeah, when you look at a goalkeeper, I mean, you see things that, you know, the, the average football fan doesn't see. Uh, what, are, what are the things particular that you look at in terms of, I guess, um, flags for you that go, okay, that's something that needs working on or that's something he does well? Yeah, good question. Um, and, and to be fair, in the different environment, environments that I've been in and especially uh, with, the, with the academy, but some of those things are the same, but you, you're looking at different stages of development. Um, with the younger ones in the academy, we're looking at one of the biggest things that I look for is bravery as a goalkeeper. Do they love it? Do they do they take pride in keeping clean sheets and stopping the ball, ball from going in, in the goal? And are they willing to put their body on the line? Once you've got that, you can work at the technique. You can work at speeding them up. You can look at um, building their power and their strength um, and their tactical um, understanding of the game. When you come into a, a, a more sta- working with a more established goalkeeper like Ollie, um, AP's breaking into into that uh, phase of development as well. Um, you're now looking at the finer details: how are you moving your feet, where exactly you position yourself, how are you reading the body shape of the player. Really tapping into the tactical um, side of the game as well. So, so building a good um, relationship with the head coach, uh, Uthi and and Chiefy, the assistant coach, so that. The goalkeeper's given the best chance to to perform within that structure as well. Um, so there's a bit a bit more linking in with with the overall structure of the team as well. You had your first nine years uh, on the planet in Spain. Um, you talk about footwork there. Don't uh, research. Yeah, yes. I have. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you talk about footwork there. I mean, uh, have you lined up some salsa lessons for, for for Alex and Ollie to help help them with that? You know, if you look at some of our sessions, you might, you might think that that's what we're doing. Um, no, not quite. I think I'd have to become a master myself or at least give it a crack before I start passing that on. So um, that might be something to, to look at for the off-season. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. But ser- seriously, yeah. on, a, on a footwork yeah. uh, point of view and, and playing yeah. uh, with the ball at your feet more, it is now the modern goalkeeper, right? We saw you know a guy like Joe Hart was the quintessential goalkeeper at the top level. Mm. Pep Guardiola gets to City and goes, "You shit with your feet. We need we need someone else." And now the modern goalkeeper has changed. They need to be able to play with the ball at their feet. How much 
you know, uh, how much work goes into that now on a goalkeeper, you know, sort of versus the traditional goalkeeping skill set? Yeah, I mean, if you look at if you look at the percentages, I, I'm not going to try and um, pick the the percentage, but I I believe it's in the 90s. 90% of the the actions done by a goalkeeper these days are with the ball at their feet. Um, certain structures and, and certain um, teams are relying heavily on that goalkeeper to provide the overload. Uh, we don't as much, um, but still, the goalkeeper needs to be reliable when they receive the ball. Needs to be an outlet. Um, needs to provide an o- overload at certain times, um, and that's the because of the pace of the game now. That sort that sort of stuff needs to be done quickly, um, and, and for that to be done quickly, obviously they need to be technically sound with with their approach, their positioning, and and even looking at things like scanning and knowing where they want to play before they receive the ball. Um, so those are all things that week to week we incorporate into the sessions, um, both when the goalkeepers are with me, and also when they go into the tactical um, work with the team. So really important and there's definitely been a big shift and I think as I came into coaching um, that shift was was really obvious and it's something that I've spent a lot of time trying to um, learn about and, and figure out ways to develop that as well just with the younger ones and now obviously with, with more established goalkeepers as well. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting way that it's developed. I, I remember twenty years ago playing, you know, over thirties at Metro, and uh, we, we'd have mm-hmm. our, our practice games, and you had rush goalkeepers. It seems like we were we were ahead of the curve. Yeah, yeah, you know what? Um, there's a, a lot of goalkeepers have been born out of out of being rush goalkeepers. So um, you might have missed your calling there. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe, probably not though. Uh, <laughs> let, let's be honest. Uh, what about you, Ruben? What about what about your missed calling? Because I know I was reading that you did start out out in the outfield. How did you end up in goal? Yeah, uh, yeah, you really have done your research. Yeah, good. Um, so it it was one of those stories where the goal I was playing for Waikato Bay Plenty under. 15s, I think, at the time. So I was I was 14 or so. Um, the reserve, no, sorry, the, the starting goalkeeper got injured um, in the middle of the game, and I jumped in because I I love throwing myself around. And probably looking back, I showed some of those attributes that I I now look and um, look out for with the younger goalkeepers. So I was brave. I loved making a save. I loved jumping around and, and that sort of thing. Um, I ended up having a really good half against uh, I think it was US one back in the day, the the Auckland. Um, uh, representative team and I actually loved it and then the goalkeepers happened to be out for a few more weeks so and that led us into the national tournament um, where they said we're, we're out of a goalkeeper you've done a good job do you want to play in the tournament and I did and then there was a New Zealand uh, I forget who it was but there was a coach that was involved with the New Zealand teams set up at the time and he approached me and said you keep doing what you're doing and you'll be in the New Zealand team soon and I thought <laughs> As a left winger, no one's ever said that to me. So, <laughs> so maybe I'm, maybe I'd, um, I need to rethink this. And, and I actually stuck with it. And um, I think because of that transition to goalkeepers having to use their feet a lot more as well, and, and teams relying on that, I ha- had that natural base of um, a first touch. And some people might argue that, but uh, a first touch and, and half decent distribution and playing out. And um, and then the rest, I had to work hard to, to learn the technical side, but. Um, I think that's also contributed to me being a good coach now as well. 
Yeah, you would have been like, how easy is this goalkeeping lark? I just throw myself around a bit. No, all of a sudden I'm in line for a New Zealand call-up. How good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was almost like that, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Too good, mate. Too good. Uh, so what's the, the integration been like for you into this role? I mean, obviously, you know, you've been at the academy and, and we know that Jonathan Gould had to leave. And as I joked about at the start, Chris Greenacre sort of assumed the role for a couple of, a couple of matches. Yeah. But so how's that integration been for you? Uh, it's... It's been good. Um, it's uh, I was going to say easy, but it's not been easy, um, especially while I was I was balancing both jobs, both roles um, after Gordy left. Uh, but what's been really good, and I mentioned this about Gordy and Goffey, is that um, they both brought me in at certain times when they were the head coach. Um, they obviously uh, were involved in the process of me um, coming down and working with the academy, and they really they spent the time and actually invested some time into. Um, exposing me to the first team environment as well. Um, so I do thank them for that. And so I, I'd already started to build some relationships with, with Uthi and Chiefy and, and the other staff um, and the goalkeepers um, from from delivering sessions or um, supporting them delivering sessions. So that made it easier. Um, the other thing that helped was that, uh, so Green, Chris, uh, Green Acre, he mirrors the first team environment as closely as he can with the reserves, um, which is the group that I was working most closely with in the academy. Um, so it made that side of the transition easier where I, I knew what was expected in terms of um, the structure, the philosophies, the training times, and how, how we operate in the environment, um, which gave me a really good chance to actually go out and just focus on, on the job that I have to do um, and getting to know the goalkeepers in this environment better. Um, and then making the little adjustments uh, for the phase of development or where they're at in their careers compared to the goalkeepers I was working with before. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you, you talk about Jonathan Gould and uh, Paul Gothard, but, I mean, outside of those two guys, who's been the biggest influence on you as a goalkeeper and then as a goalkeeping coach? Oof, good question. Um, outside of those, so those two have been – so I actually had uh, Paul Gothard as my coach when I was involved with the under-20s. Um, extended squad. I didn't make the World Cup squad, and Ollie did, and we were part of the same cycle, which is it's funny how the world comes around. Um, but uh, outside of that, I remember being at Auckland City uh, as a number two to announce Zubi Karai, mm. uh, who obviously spent time in La Liga, played Champions League football. Um, was a, was a, is he stopped playing now, but he was a very very good goalkeeper in his day. Um, he he was a big one for me as a player. Um, but also because I was coaching at the time, a lot of the, the things we would talk about and he would spend time with me on were things that I could take on as a goalkeeper, but also pass on to the people I was coaching. Um, and a lot of it was mentality stuff as well, um, because he's played in front of, you know, big crowds and against top, the top teams in the world and how he's how he prepares for those games mentally and, and how he overcomes setbacks within the game um, to continue performing. So... Um, he would be another one. Yeah. All right. Oh, sorry. I, I can't. I can't forget to mention as well um, James Bannatyne, who um, does work in the goalkeeping space through OFC, mm-hmm. uh, and and he's been a big enabler for me to to get into these opportunities and support me through them as well. I've heard James Bannatyne and Enabler mentioned before in a sentence, but it wasn't to do with goalkeeping. I'll tell you that much for free. Okay. Um, but Bannatyne's okay. a good man. He is a good man. <laughs> he um, is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Very good man. 
uh, I was going to ask you, uh, it's it's uh, the Wollongong, it's a home game. I know it's weird, a home game in Wollongong to pay back, you know, the people in Wollongong who came out and became part of the Phoenix Army when you were based in Australia. Got West Sydney Wanderers. Is this your first away gig? It is the, the first away game. Um, the last, before the break, that was the first time I'd been on the bench. The one before that where Greeny stepped in, um, I was meant to, but I got COVID that week, which didn't work out very well. For, for anyone apart from Greeny, <laughs> he apparently did a very good job. Um, and Ollie had a very good game that game, so um, he, he did something right. Um, but yeah, this will be the first away trip. Um, so, so gearing into that, we're, we've just had our minus three session um, and we'll travel on the minus one. So, so looking forward to that. Yeah, that'll be good, mate. And, and before I let you go, Ruben, I mean, we often talk the World Cup with people that we get on, uh, regardless of, of what the interview's about, because when the World Cup's on, everybody's got their eyes on it. But maybe you're more qualified than most to, to give us this, because there's a lot of talk about golden boot and golden ball. But what about golden glove? Who's been the keeper that's impressed you most at the World Cup? Um, there's there's a few, and, and for different reasons. But I, I think you can't look past um, Pickford. Uh, there's the and Allison, those are the two. Uh, there's other ones. Chesney's had some great performances. Um, the thing with, with those goalkeepers that stands out to me is that for large periods of the game, at times they're not uh, really involved. Um, and a good example was Allison yesterday, and it must have been in the 30th minute. So he, he plucks one out the top corner. Um, I think that's a, a mentality thing to, to be focused and, and rely on on your muscle memory and your, your positioning and your skill set to, to be engaged in the game when you're not super involved um, and and to be able to do something like that. He went on to make another two or three saves, but again, dotted out throughout the game. It wasn't like a, a phase of um, of soaking up the pressure. It was just at times where they broke through and they had a decent effort on target. He's made a few good saves. So I think Allison for me, and, and he's one of the goalkeepers that I look at uh, quite a lot, um, and I think probably I'll give you a, a better answer once once the tournament's over because I think there's still some big performances to come. Yeah, was uh, was it Livkovic, the the Croatian keeper against Japan, and and, yeah. and Bono yeah, today as well? Yes, yeah, the penalty shootouts obviously come into play there as well. Um, I think I, I don't think penalty shootouts are purely a lottery, a lottery for goalkeepers because they do their homework and they and they look at that and they they practice their approach. Um, but I'm I'm usually more interested in, in the performance in the game rather than the, the penalties. The penalties are exciting, don't get me wrong, but when I'm looking at uh, how goalkeepers play, it's more in the game. It hurts me to say this, but probably my favourite penalty shootout moment of recent times has been Andrew Redmayne throwing the Peruvian keeper's notes written on his bottle into the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I, I, mate, uh, yeah, I'm with you on that. It's very good. And <laughs> I saw some Peruvian fans um, over Halloween, they they dressed up as Andrew Redman, <laughs> so he's he's obviously haunted um, the Peruvians by doing that. But it's brilliant, yeah. Yeah. Now I mentioned at the start that you've done a lot in your life, and this is this is the last question for you, Ruben. Because you know you've got things to do, mm-hmm. but uh, one of those things is you've got a degree in wine. Um, I know a lot of people that <laughs> yeah. probably should have a degree in wine, uh, but don't yeah. have the piece of paper. Um, <laughs> what are you doing with that now? And if I'm up early to watch a World Cup game. What pairs nicely with wheat picks? <laughs> with wheat picks. All right. Um, not a question I expected, but one I'll, I'll do my best to answer. So, um, yeah, so that's why I was in Hawke's Bay and, and that eventually uh, yeah, led to me signing for Navy Rovers and, and Hawke's Bay United. Um, I did a three-year degree in oenology, which is um, wine science. 
Uh, I worked in the wine industry for, for a short while, a year, just over a year with Church Road. It was around the same time I was coaching and eventually coaching took over um, and playing as well. Um, but yeah, to the Wheatbix question, I think um, you're tired at this stage. You want, want something sharp to wake you up, don't you? So probably a, a, a nice Marlborough Sav, I think. Um, we'll have the right acidity to match the wheat bits and it'll it'll for sure wake you up I think um, but it'll, it'll be a long day after that I think <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, to, para- to paraphrase you know wine it's not just for breakfast yeah yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. hey good stuff yeah, Ruben yeah. thanks for being a great sport mate it's been a great chat I've yeah. really enjoyed it Appreciate best of luck on your first trip away with the Phoenix and congrats again on the new gig thank you Ricardo it's 11.29 here on Mornings with Ian Smith. Thanks to Brandt, your local John Deere equipment supplier. Text has come through on the Temper Bedpost text machine from Brad. Rick Dog, do any of the quarterfinals go to extra time? I have a bonus bet to throw at a quarterfinal multi. Yeah, there's a couple that I suspect could do. Um, I think France-England will be tight, and I also think... Argentina Netherlands will be tight. So if I was going to look at either going extra t- uh, any games going extra time, it'd be one of those two. Um, if you really want value, then potentially Croatia. I think they're paying four fifty the draw at ninety minutes because uh, they're very they're very good at shutting teams down, particularly their midfield. Probably the best midfield in the comp. Uh, I think Brazil will be too strong. But, I mean, if you want one that's a bit of a smoky, then maybe Croatia uh, managing to take Brazil to extra time. Uh, I think the draw at 90 minutes is paying $4.50, Brad. So hopefully that works for you. Actually, speaking of TAB bonus bets, we have another one to give away. It's $100 worth for Stumped. If you want to win that, 0800 150 811. 0800 150 811. We'll play Stumped right after the latest in news and sport from Aroha. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yes, it's time to play Stumped here on SNZ Mornings with Ricardo Ball in the hot seat. While Smithy is away on his cricket commentary duties there for Fox, Ricardo, we're up to a $100 TAB bonus bet. We've already given away what one of the topics are. Yes. What are your hopes that some of the others may be? Uh, well, I mean, if we could have uh, one on the Football World Cup and then another one on the Football World Cup, that would be good. Mm. And maybe a third one on, I don't know, the Football World Cup. <laughs> Throwing it out there. Wow. Maybe the Phoenix. Maybe you do one on the Phoenix just to mix it up. <laughs> you wish, mate. You wish. Mm. Ah, but I think I think we have a first-timer We'll see. Uh, going to Invercargill, we've got Lou at the crease. Come in, mate. Yep, that's me. Yep, first time. I'm, I'm some old bugger that's been around for a long time. <laughs> Love to hear it. <laughs> Good stuff, Lou. Uh, what's, it, what, what's, your, what's your sport of choice, mate? What's your, your strong suit? Cricket. Okay, he's a cricket man. Right, well, right. Uh, before we get underway, mate, just do me a favour. And I think, are you standing next to your radio or something? I feel like I can, I can hear myself. No, I no. The radio's off. I turned it off. Okay. All right. Well, we'll get going. Uh, so, have you? Do you know how to play? Yes. Yep. Nice. Listen to you all the time. Oh, I love it. Well, first time uh, participant. We'll see how you go. I love it. Always love a first timer. Your categories today to choose from, Lou, are the FIFA World Cup, the White Ferns, and the NFL. Ah, uh, better go for the second one. I think. White ferns? The white ferns. 
All right. Spot a woman's cricket here on Stumped. First question for you, Lou. The White Ferns are currently gearing up for the T20 World Cup next year in South Africa. New Zealand's never won the tournament, but we have won the ODI World Cup once before. In what year did that happen? Oh, it was in New Zealand we beat Australia. Ah, uh, crikey. It's a while ago now. Um, oh, 2009. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Ricardo, I can see you trying to search in the memory banks there of what it might be. Yeah, I think it was earlier, wasn't it? I'm going to go 2001. One of the worst things uh. I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Y2K, start the new millennium, the oh, year 2000. 2000 flat. All right. Yeah. Man, that is a while, <laughs> it's a while ago. Wow. All right, second question for you, Lou. Yep. Where are the White Ferns currently ranked in T20s? Where are they? E20. Uh, One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Ricardo? Third. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Yep, New Zealand are third in the world in T20 cricket. So hard luck, Lou, but thanks for playing, mate. Definitely call again because we love getting people from Invercargill joining on the show. We're staying with the South Island, though, for uh, our next contestant, Ryan from Christchurch. Come in, mate. How you going, boys? You're up? Yeah, good, Rhino. Yourself? Yeah, you're not too bad. Do you get called Rhino or do I just make that up? Oh, no, not really. A couple of people, but not really, no. Okay, all right. Okay, Ryan, I apologise. How's your cricket knowledge? Oh, not too bad. Women's cricket's pretty average. Okay, okay. All right, well, you've got one question. Uh, If you get this right, $100 TRB bonus bet is all yours, and even better if you get it wrong and then I get it wrong, it's still all yours. (laughs) Ah, such a rules are stumped. All right, well, I did say earlier that uh, if you've been paying attention to the White Ferns this year, you probably would get these questions. So good luck to you, Ryan, with that $100 TAB bonus bet on the line. Three of the currently contracted White Ferns are just 18 years old. Fran Jonas and Georgia Plummer are in the squad playing Bangladesh. But name the wicketkeeper currently in India with the development squad. Oh, jeez. Nah, no idea. I'll I'll let Ricardo have a go. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Yeah, no, give him the money. I've got no idea either. Really? <laughs> I mean, who follows the under-19s? Come on. I no, mean, I'll keep an eye no, on the results, but no, that's it. Ricardo, you know, you know how I said earlier that uh, I wasn't mad. I was just disappointed. <laughs> yeah, put it, put it on the bus. worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Congratulations, Ryan. <laughs> no, cheers, boys. Too easy. I will, because I'm sure you want to know everyone uh, playing at home, the answer I'm looking for is Izzy Gaze. Izzy? Oh, of course, of course. The other Izzy. No, not, not the other Izzy, Izzy, Izzy Gaze. All right, okay, there you go, Ryan. Um, mate, where, where are you going to put that $100 bonus bet? Oh, I reckon England. England for the quarterfinal. Okay, well, just to, to progress, or are you going to take them head-to-head? Um, probably head-to-head. Head to head. That's where the value is, mate. That's where the value is. Good stuff, Ryan. Good luck. 
Liz is awesome. Thanks, boys. Cheers. Have a good weekend, mate. Have a good weekend. Uh, Ryan, well done to him. We'll have another stump for you with $50 up for grabs for your Friday. Um, it was funny, I was looking at that under-19s team uh, the other day because uh, ahead of having Ben Sawyer on. Mm. Um, but when you said that, I just completely blanked. I was like, I didn't actually absorb any of the names that were in there. <laughs> you know what? I'm pretty sure Smithy would have knocked that one out of the park. Well, if he did, <laughs> he would have been going against the rules of stump because his job's to catch the ball and take the bales off. <laughs> <laughs> Technicalities. Technicalities. Uh, it is 22 away from 12 here on SCNZ. It's the Great Greyhound Racing New Zealand Charity Run. Yes, the uh, Greyhound Racing New Zealand Charity Run. Uh, this week's Greyhound picked to raise funds for the Women's Refuge. It is racing today out of Addington. Uh, this race gets underway at nine minutes to five. Race four it is, and it is dog three. Chatty Mavis. Now, Chatty Mavis has had three wins and a second in the last four starts. So uh, we're going short here to try and get a winner because we need a winner. And Chatty Mavis paying $2 the winner, $1.15 the place. Um, now, the reason I say that is because breakfast have so far raised six hundred and fifty-two fifty. Afternoons have raised $1,265. Drive have raised four hundred and thirty-two fifty. Mornings. $82.50. Need a win. Need a win, it's fair to say. So hopefully for the sake of the women's refuge, uh, Chatty Mavis comes through. That is race four today out of Addington Dog number three, paying $2 and $1.15. Okay, so that is uh, that is our dog. That is the one that we are sticking with. And, of course, we do have a Greyhound Racing uh, show that you can tune into every Sunday from midday, hosted by Mark Rosanowski and Dan Roberts. So midday, SENZ, every Sunday, you won't miss a beat with Greyhound Racing New Zealand's Dog Speed Show. And I tell you, if you ever miss an interview on the show or on the station, you can head to the SENZ podcast page. Just uh, Google SENZ podcasts. We have got all the pod- all the shows, uh, podcast, all their interviews. So if you ever miss anything, you can go there and find it. Like today, uh, if you missed Hugh Bainan, the GM of the Sales NBL, talking about the new NBL season, the schedules come out, when they tip off, who's playing who, expansion, his thoughts on the NBA, all of that, you can get that just by Googling SENZ podcast and it'll take you to our podcast page. One of the things that we asked Hugh today was how he thought the breakers would go up against Sydney Kings. I kind of hope they win because I copped it last week because um, I rolled in, I was filling in for Andrew Mulligan on the commentary for the breakers against the Wildcats game or what forever will be known as the Corey Webster game. Um, my first time this season, I walked into Spark Arena, first time in a long time actually for me, uh, and I uh, saw Modi Moa, the breakers head coach, and he goes, oh, what are you doing here? I said, oh, Andrew's away, so I'm filling in. And he goes, "Does and I will tone the language down. Yeah. He, goes, he goes, do you people know nothing about preserving a streak? <laughs> <laughs> so the, the superstition in him came out. And then, obviously, they lost, and I got out of there pretty quickly. <laughs> Yeah, got out of there pretty quickly, all right, because they did lose. Although, I don't know if that was Hugh's fault or the social media manager's fault for winding up Corey Webster. Can I, I, I just, I've I got to get something off my chest here around, around that because I've seen a lot of posts, one from a certain former Sports Tonight host um, who, who loves a good hot take or two. It's not their fault. Like, that's their job. And I, I know 
yeah, okay, maybe it was a little disrespectful to Corey Webster, um, who's a bit of a, you know a bit of a club legend with the Breakers. But with the way that the Breakers do their social media now, that was completely on brand for them. They just love to poke a bit of fun. They did it uh, a bit earlier as well, leading into uh, the game against the Perth Wildcats. I don't know if uh, you remember High School Musical, Ricardo. I can't say I do, but okay. <laughs> Robbie does. You probably grew up with it. <laughs> Actually, wait, you might have been like five. Uh, anyway. It's um, probably retro for Robbie. Yeah, that's r- super so what retro. Were you, what were you old people watching when you were kids? Oh, that. Yeah, High School Musical. Anyway, uh, the team in that is called the is called the Wildcats as well, and so they had it that it was the Wildcats from the Disney uh, movie and the Breakers watching them, and it was so just kind of like, I guess, taking the piss. But at the same time, it's like, are you saying the, uh, the Wildcats look like Zac Efron? I don't think they'll complain about that. Uh, but it is just their brand. It's their style. It's something we've seen a lot uh, recently. The Alley Kings were very famous with it when they were high in the NHL. The Vegas Golden Knights tried to replicate that, and you see other teams now, like the Breakers, also using that sort of... Uh, social media platform to to poke a bit of fun and engage the audience that way. And I think they do a really good job of it. So it is not their fault that the Breakers lost to the Wildcats. Let's just get over that. Well, I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna disagree with you. And I'm gonna disagree with you because I think the Breakers players disagree with you. The Breakers players <laughs> thought they had gone too far. I mean Tom Vadonovich actually went on social media um, to say that this is way off, and so did Isaiah Liafa. Um, he also wasn't uh, down with it. Neither was Leon Henry, who said there's one thing that we don't do, and that's disrespect. Well, you know what that does? That What's says that? All, all the players say, oh, no, we don't pay attention to social media. Yeah, they do. Yeah, well, I mean, Corey Webster was pretty quick to reply, didn't he? He said, that's, that's something you wouldn't say to my face. <laughs> that's what he. That was his reply. So that's why I'm going... You know, when Modi Mayor felt he needed to apologise in the post-match and then a couple of the players made those comments, I I, I think maybe they... Well, I, know, I understand what you're saying and I think generally they're pretty good. I think maybe they misread this one. Yeah, well, I mean, it's like anything in life, right? Well, one, it's a job. Playing basketball is a job. Doing this is a job. We're not going to get it right 100% of the time. I think just kind of lay off them a bit. Yeah, well, I think it fired Corey Webster up. I don't think you can deny that. I think he's going to be fired up no matter what. Yeah, <laughs> maybe maybe you're right. Actually, I see uh, in in local basketball news who didn't get didn't have this uh, to hand when we had Hugh on to talk about it earlier. But uh, Guy Malloy's got a job back in the uh, NBL. Um, he was sacked by the Saints halfway through last season. He's going to be the Southland Sharks coach for the coming Sales NBL season. Yeah, and did he not say that his um, his time with the Wellington Saints isn't indicative of what he's like as a basketball coach? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is a, that was a Wellington Saints team that decided they could start the season without all their imports and half their best players and then blamed the coach because they were losing. <laughs> yeah, and then Xavier Cooks comes over. They, they fill their roster up completely. Once everyone was available, they change coaches and everything turns around miraculously. No, I mean, I think that's kind of fair. I mean, give, give Guy another chance, but... Yeah, Southland Sharks had a, they had a really tough season. So, I mean, it's it's you can only go up for uh, them, really. Yeah, I think the only team that I can think of who could blame an injury to the coach for part of the reason that they you know that, that, that they bombed last year because that was a that was a pretty ugly spill he took off that ladder. 
Yeah, that was tough. That was tough. So, I mean, you want to see the Southland Sharks bounce back, so hopefully they, they get to do that under a new coach. Yeah, hopefully. And Guy Malloy is the man that's going to lead that team. It is nine away from midday here on SENZ. When we come back, Mark Stafford will join us. I'll tell you what, the, one of the best platforms to give yourself some time to chat and to really lay out your case is with Midday Madness with Mark Stafford. Uh, I think that's probably where most of our SENZ Caller of the Month's come from, Staff, and uh, no doubt you're going to have uh, a whole lot lo- lined up today to chat. Look, we will. Um, and, yeah, you're right, uh, one of the callers to Afternoons Midday Madness did win last month's one. There you um, go. And uh, is very delighted with it. I think it's heading to Hamilton, actually. Excellent. This particular one. Uh, yeah, so Midday Madness today... Uh, David Warner mm. and the Australian cricket captaincy saga. Has he done his time? Oh, mate, honestly. Should he be back in? Steve no. Smith? No. No, no, no to both? No, well. So like, you're quite passionate about it. That's good. Mate, I really do not like David Warner. There are very few sports people that I have a, 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 an absolute dislike bordering on hatred for. David Warner is one of them. 0800-150-811. Look forward to your call, Ricardo, <laughs> from Auckland. <laughs> well, I, I just think, I, <clears> I tweeted this earlier <throat> today. It's like, Tell me you're a cheating so and so without, without telling me you're you. a cheating so and so. By by saying, you know, Cricket Australia, this independent board said, well, look, we want to have a public hearing on whether or not this should happen, which means they have to go through everything that happened in 2018, right? Mm. And he's thrown his toys and said no and pulled his application. That to me says an admission. Oh, that's an admission of not only am I a cheat, you already know this. What else don't we know that might come out that he really doesn't want people to know? Mm. I'm just wondering if there's devil advocate out there that, that say, well, it's four years ago or three cricket seasons ago. How long's long enough? What? And for Wasn't some people, banned for life. Yes, um, but people get life imprisonment and they get um, they they have an appeal. Uh, he's he's entitled to an appeal, but you have to turn up to an appeal to. Exactly. Well, actually, we had somebody on earlier who said, "Who was it? Was it Ross Carl or was it? No, it might have been David Long actually that said, you know, if you if you get a sentence to to uh, for murder, uh, and you have an appeal, you don't throw your toys out in case people hear what you did, <laughs> right? <laughs> Fear, you know. So yeah, I've got absolutely no sympathy for David Warner, mm. none. Um, and that that all started off the Philip Hughes thing, to be honest. Yeah. Um, because he he milked that for all it's worth cashed in, did the big 60 minutes thing, and then in the very next cricket series, after talking about toning everything down, he's talking to people about breaking their arms. Mm. So, I mean, he can piss off, to be fair. (laughs) (laughs) Logan's hand was just over the dump button. It was hovering over the dump button. It needed to be. Oh, well, it's wound you up. I'll be interested to hear what the listeners have. It's been like that the entire show. I've been really (laughs) in case, because he has been hot on this topic. Ah, yeah. So yeah, that's that's me, Steph. What else have you got today? Uh, we've got uh, Kale. He he is the founder of uh, Volley Golf. This is an interesting story. He's coming into studio at two o'clock. They've invented a and made a golfing robot to oh. test golf balls in New Zealand. Potentially a massive industry, and they make their own golf balls. Uh, and Steve Williams, uh, the golf caddy, who's back with Adam Scott, having a chat to him about golf, and uh, he's got a big um, speedway event coming up next weekend. That's, is that the most unlikely duo of sports that yes. one person's involved in? Yes. yes, yes. But he's a great man, Steve. Looking forward to talking to him after two. And a $400 volt Ooh, today. Huge. Mate, 400 Mate, cash that in for the weekend ahead of the World Cup quarterfinals. Yes. All right, here we go. Staff, he's in with Midday Madness after this.